around 10 years ago, and my family had just gotten home from a lovely spring break trip. We had gone on a cruise with a family that had all become our best friends. You see, a couple years earlier, I became friends with this girl in school. We became best friends, and then my friend had a sister who was the same age as my sister, so my sister and her sister became best friends, and then my mom and her mom became best friends, and my dad and her dad became best friends. It was so great. And so we went on this cruise, and we, I had the time of my life. So I am, it's a Monday morning, getting ready to go back to school. I'm a little sunburned, so I'm putting on the aloe vera, and I go downstairs for what should be a normal morning, which at my age of, I was in ninth grade, so do the math. I can't really do the math there. Um, but I came down to have what I thought would be a normal breakfast of a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios. Now that I'm a little older, I'll add some coffee into that, but uh, we weren't there at that point. And um, what started off as a perfectly normal morning became not a normal morning when I came downstairs and my mother, who at this time in the morning was normally in her bathroom putting her makeup on, was sitting in the foyer of our house absolutely sobbing, and could not put herself together. Now, as a ninth grader, this is a very hard and weird scene to walk into because normally I'm the one who is crying and my mom is the one putting me back together. And so I'm wondering, am I supposed to put my mother back together? I don't really know what to do. Well, it took some time for my mom to stop crying, and to be honest, I had to go to school, and I did not see or hear what she was crying about until weeks later. My mom never really truly got better from what happened. You see, while I was having a great time on the cruise, my mom learned from her best friend that she was having an affair with somebody. And she was planning on divorcing her husband, who had brought a ton of stability to her family, in order to follow after this man. And my mom spent the entire week on that cruise pleading with her friend to make a different decision. That it was not too late to seek forgiveness, to undo the damage that she, has caught, she had caused but she would not listen. This person's unrepentant sin caused a huge amount of destruction everywhere you looked. I wish I had a, a nice fairy tale ending to share to the story, but unfortunately, the ending. And still, there is no ending. It, the effects still go on. The, the effects of that decision she made are too tragic for me to even say out loud. I tell you this story um, that does not have a very happy tone to it for, for a reason. You see, we are in a sermon series called Ten Stories in which we are looking at the genealogy, yes, a genealogy found in Matthew chapter 1, tracing God's promises through the lineage from all the way back from Abraham 
all the way to the fulfillment of Jesus, who is our Savior that has paid the price for our sin, which is death, who has died on the cross to take away our sin and has joined in resurrection power from God. This is the good news that is proclaimed and that we can see leading up all throughout stories in the lineage leading up to Jesus. But one thing that you might notice as we've been sharing various stories from the genealogy in chapter, in Matthew chapter one is this. Each person's lives leading up to Jesus is incredibly messy. There is not a single story that we've told that Don and I have not met up in our meetings on, sermon, on the sermon series and said, well, this is a little bit of a problematic character. <laughs> but aren't our lives messy as well? Maybe your life does not have or has not had an affair. Maybe your life has not looked like Rahab's did. But we all, whether we try or not, live lives of sin. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is what it means to be in the human condition under the curse of sin, that no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we try to live good, godly lives, our lives are still messy. And our lives still show that we need a savior. While each person in the lineage leading up to Jesus showed the need for a savior, a Messiah, somebody to save God's people from the mess that they've created, our lives on the other side of Jesus still show the same message. We are in need of a savior to save us from the mess that we have created. And so as we make our way through the lineage leading up to Jesus, this morning I want to talk about and share a story from the life of King David. And King David, you may or may not know much about King David, but King David is known more than almost anybody else in the Bible other than Jesus to be a man after God's own heart. He sets the example of what it means to pursue God amidst the various trials of life. He literally was being chased down, trying to be killed on his way to the throne of Israel. And what we know from his running and hiding from his enemies is that he sought the Lord as his protection and his shield. The Psalms are poems that teach us how to seek after God and seek his goodness. And it is believed that David wrote at least 73 of the Psalms that we find in our Bibles. He is a man that teaches us much about what it means to follow God, to seek after his goodness. And even David does not live a good, perfect life without sin. In fact, he has some pretty significant moral failures that not only cause consequences in his own life, but cause consequences in the entire line after him. David is not exempt or immune from the issue of sin, and neither of are we. You see, sin, the interesting thing is, is God's nature is, is to unify and create and sin's nature is to divide and destroy. And we see this from the very big things in our lives that divide and destroy to the very seemingly insignificant 
things of sin. All of it divides and destroys. But before I go into the story that I'd like to share about the life of David, we need some context to help us understand what's happening in David understanding the consequence for his sin. You see, David is now, has now ascended onto the throne and everything is seemingly going really well in the life of Israel. The kingdom, the 12 tribes are united under David. We say that he is under the united kingdom of Israel during this time. And, you know, the ark has come back to be with the Israelites. All is good. And in the season where kings go out to war with the men of their country, David does something interesting because he stays behind behind in the capital and as he stays behind he gets into trouble because there is a woman Bathsheba who is married to Uriah the Hittite and while David has so much he decides that Uriah's wife is one more thing that he absolutely has to have and so he takes her and sleeps with her And to hide the problem of what he did under the rug, he comes up with this solution. To send Uriah up into the front lines of battle in which he will surely be killed. Thus dealing with the problem of your lover's husband. It is in the wake of these decisions that David has made that a prophet Nathan comes to the king and helps him understand the effect that his sin has had. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to open up. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 20, and the words will also be on the screens for us as well. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this, had not, if this all had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. 
This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up off the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. And on the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he would not listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him that the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage tells us about the utter destruction that David's sin caused and the utter consequences that he faces in the wake. And oftentimes when we talk about sin and how to deal with sin, we we talk about sin in very large terms. David's sin of sleeping with Uriah's wife and then having Uriah killed is, is something that even if you are not a follower of Jesus or a follower of the God of Israel, that most people in society will agree is a moral failure by today's standards. And so for us in anybody, we can kind of go, okay, the, the effect of his sin makes sense. But the thing that I want us to understand this morning is this. While there is consequences for the things that we categorize as big sins, there are also equally as many consequences for the sins that we tell ourselves don't actually matter. Because if we do not understand that sin is sin and sin causes destruction, then we will continue living lives of destruction that cause so many unintended consequences that the cross becomes dimmed by the darkness that we lead. And so it is important this morning as we look at how David dealt with his own sin that we truly and honestly look at our own sin, not just individually, but together, so that we can move forward in in helping the world see God's redemptive purpose. 
And so we don't say that we want to look at sin as a way of condemning or as a way of shaming. We want to take an honest look at our sin as a way of seeing the goodness of God exist in our lives and the lives of our neighbor. And so... As I look at this passage and I look at the way that David dealt with the issue of his sin, I see that David does four things in response to his sin. Those four things are this. He first acknowledges the injustice that his sin has caused. He confesses his sin, number two. Number three, he accepts the consequences for his sin. And number four, he turns to the Lord. These four things are ways that we can look at our own sin and deal with our own sin on this side of the cross as well as we seek to turn back to the Lord, as we seek to show the world around us that the same grace that we receive is grace that they can receive as well. And so let's walk through this passage and look at how David responds to sin in these four ways. The first thing that we notice in this passage is that the prophet Nathan comes to David, and and most of us think that, okay, like if I'm going to confront somebody about their sin, I'm going to go, okay, so you might have a sin problem. Here's the sin that you dealt with, you know, please change that. Nathan, as a prophet, is maybe a little smarter than that and realizes that, that David might get protective and combative and defensive over this. And so he craftily tells David of his sin by using an analogy about the, the poor man and the rich man. But the story is so good because it gets David riled up about the injustice at play. The same injustice that happens in the story about the poor man and the rich man and the ewe lamb is the same injustice that David has committed himself. And for us, as we look at our sin, big and small, we first have to understand the consequence and the way that it affects and creates injustice in the world around us. Whenever sin is at play, which by its very nature divides and destroys, injustice is created because God unites and creates and is one of justice. And so sin, therefore, its opposite creates injustice. And sometimes our sin has clear injustice that we can see that it creates. But more often than not, I think the enemy is crafty because the enemy makes us believe that the sin that we committed, while we might admit it's sin, the sin that we've committed really has no consequences. Sure, we might theoretically think that our sin creates a divide between us and God, but does that really get in the way of me living my everyday life if I am divided from God? It seems like most of the world is divided by God, so maybe I can just keep doing this small little thing over here, and it won't make a difference. If we're going to be honest about confronting our sin, we have to be honest about the injustice that it creates. Take, for example, the issue of the sin of pride. This, in my confession, is something that I struggle with a lot. I am a prideful person. 
and the injustice that it creates, the way that it affects other people, while I try to convince myself that it doesn't really, is that I become short with other people. I put other people down in order to put myself above others because at the root of my pride, I believe I am better than others. I have to acknowledge the injustice that I create in which I do not look at the people that I put below myself as equally created in the image of God. I do not look and acknowledge most times the ways that I am short with my coworkers because of my pride. But in all of our sin, we have to acknowledge the injustice that is first created. We have to acknowledge the way that our sin divides and destroys. One, our relationship with God. Two, our relationship with one another. And three, our relationship with God's created world. All sin divides, destroys, and causes injustice. As David gets in raged about the injustice at play and is confronted with the fact that his rage about injustice is actually a rage about his own injustice that his sin has created. We see that God has consequences for his sin, but we see this, that as David begins to understand his sin, he confesses before Nathan and before the Lord that he has sinned. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. If we are going to deal with the problem of our own sin, we have to confess before the Lord and before one another the effect that sin has on our lives. One of the things that I love most about our worship services, both in traditional and here in our contemporary service, every single week, every single Sunday, as we gather to worship the living God, as we gather to remember who Jesus is and what he has done in our lives, as we seek to follow him and and live into the kingdom of heaven that is established under his rule and reign, we come before the Lord in the prayer of confession. We, as Christians, one of our fundamental tenets is that Jesus saves us from the curse of sin and death, but we still acknowledge that we are sinners constantly in need of grace. And so we have to constantly come before the throne of God's grace and confess our sin, not so that we can create a laundry list of things that we have done and just say, okay, check that off the box, I have been forgiven by God. But confession is a way for us to encounter the kindness of our redemptive God. You see, Paul writes that God's kindness leads us to repentance, to turn our ways. And so when we confess before the Lord, we encounter his goodness. And when we confess before others, we show the world that we are not perfect. I think one of the biggest problems in the church kind of universal and especially the church in America today, we've got kind of a PR crisis on our hands. And one of the the problems in this church PR crisis is this. The world around us sees a bunch of people that proclaim the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has come to die for our sins, pay the price Um, And they see a lot of people that claim Jesus and live lives that are not godly lives, on the other hand. 
But what the world needs to see, yes, is us living more godly lives, but we cannot live perfect lives. What the world needs to see, our anecdote for the PR crisis at hand is this. The world needs to see broken people who are following Jesus and openly and regularly confessing their sins before the Lord and before one another. We often think that we do a good job hiding our sins. We think we do a good job hiding our sins from God, and we especially believe that we do a good job hiding our sins from one another. Have you ever stopped to wonder, maybe we're not that good at hiding our sins? Look around us. The world today is, in many ways, a consequence for our own sinful actions, both individually and collectively. We have caused division and strife, and we have not openly admitted that we are sinners in need of grace. Because the God that we follow openly and freely gives his love in the form of Jesus to be with us, to redeem us from the sinful situations that we found. Why wouldn't we openly confess our brokenness and our need for Jesus? The kingdom of heaven will be noticed by our neighbors when we openly admit our need for a savior. And we openly admit the ways that we are broken and need Jesus to enter into our lives. This next part of what David does in response to his sin is often confusing for the followers of Jesus. And it's one that we like to skip through because while we have been forgiven of our sins— there are oftentimes still ramifications for the sins in our lives. In this passage, David confesses before Nathan and the Lord that he had sinned. And in Nathan the prophet, who is a voice piece for the Lord, says that God will not kill David as a result. But there are severe consequences for the sin that he had caused. And for us, we are and have been forgiven by God. Our sins have been paid in full. But just look around you at the brokenness of the world. We are still facing the consequences for this division and destruction that we have caused. The difference between an immature follower of Christ and a mature follower of Jesus is this the way we respond to the consequences of our sin. Both followers of Jesus will claim grace, but the mature follower of Jesus may not like it. They may continue to wrestle with God and ask God to take away the consequences of their actions, but a mature follower of Jesus will own up to the actions that they have done, both inaction and action, they will own up to the consequences of their sin, and they will put in the hard work of working through those consequences. This church is full of brothers and sisters who are mature followers of Jesus that I've seen time and time again say, I have sinned. 
I have caused destruction. I have, I have ruined this relationship. I have, I have caused strife and division. I am now going to do the hard work of putting the pieces back together. The good news is for us, we are not alone as we are left to put the pieces back together. Part of God's redeeming mission is not just to redeem us, but is to make things that were utterly destroyed and broken whole again. That is the meaning of the word peace or shalom in the Bible, is to make things whole. And so God joins us as we get together and put the rubble back together and build the kingdom of heaven here in Peachtree City and beyond. The last thing that David does here as a model for how we are to deal with the issue of sin in our lives is one of the most important things. At the end, what does David do when his son finally dies? He gets himself together and he goes into the house of the Lord and worships. God cares so much about rescuing us from the curse of sin, from the destruction that we ourselves create because God longs for us to be in union with him. God longs for our worship and he is not content with just part of us. And so we don't want to just accept the forgiveness that we have been given from God and then go out. God has forgiven us. God has come alongside us. God dwells in you through the Holy Spirit so that we can worship God as we were always intended to do. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so, while sin has divided us from God, Jesus has made a way for us to come back to the Father and worship God as God always intended us to do. Will we, the people of God, be people who acknowledge their sin, work through the ramifications with God, and praise him no matter the circumstances? I hope so. Let's pray together.